Welcome to Rehab Within Reach. We are your hosts, Dr. Chrissy Rankin, physical therapist and CrossFit Level 1 coach. And I'm Dr. Sarah Nelson, a physical therapist, and I'm board certified in women's health and lymphedema therapy, and I also hold a master's degree in orthopedic manual therapy. And I'm Dr. Shona Craig. I'm also a physical therapist, a board certified women's health clinical specialist, certified lymphedema therapist, and yoga teacher. We are a collective of women from various backgrounds who support each other and the community around us that have one thing in common, therapy solutions. This podcast will be addressing how the body, mind, and spirit work together to create our current state of being while offering a refreshing approach to how to create harmony within each system. Our treatment philosophy is to empower people through education by combating modern evidence-based practice with our innate primal wisdom in order to promote body literacy and compassion in your personal healing journey. Even though our professional background started in physical therapy, we take an integrative and holistic approach by addressing all systems of the body in order to bridge the gap between the current medical model in the United States and your ability to make autonomous decisions to achieve independence and wellness. This podcast is meant to challenge you to think in ways that may feel uncomfortable at first, but don't worry. Remember, our goal is to provide resources in order for you to make the best decisions for your well-being, which may go against what most of our society suggests is quote-unquote healthy or correct. As a reminder, this podcast does not replace the medical examination, assessment, and plan of care from a licensed medical provider who has seen you personally. Let's get started. Um, Shona, I was just saying, I can always think of ways to spend your guys' time. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, <laughs> I got this research tool called the InBody. There's a lot of them out there. Um, they have different models. And I got the one that supposedly is used in research. And it measures like intracellular, extracellular fluid and visceral fat. And it'll measure for each limb and the trunk. Um, lean body Ooh. mass, fat mass. Yeah. And I, it, I want to achieve that goal of research, you know, and I thought, well, maybe I don't need to fund research if we just do little case studies. So I'm th- sitting here oh, thinking, cool. about, yeah, yeah I, I, thinking about our topic of movement in the lipedema population. And well, so I thought Chrissy knows some people who do CrossFit and have lipedema, it might be interesting to see what um, that does to their body composition. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. That would be interesting. So, um, yeah, I'm always I interested uh, in learning what, um, like, based on, I guess I've been thinking about this because I'm in this Ayurvedic program is based on what that person's body composition um, or dosha balance, like what kind of exercise is best for them and mm. like in what season and in what imbalance they've got going on. Um, Cause I've been sort of shifting my mindset of my own exercise, um, which we can, you know, sort of the topic of today we can get into more later, but yeah, I'm curious even what, you've learned Sarah about like Ayurveda and what Ayurveda says about lipedema and what they should be doing 
with yeah. their physical bodies exercise wise. Well, yeah. So maybe we could just say like that. So the topic I thought would be interesting today is uh, to, to talk about all the different forms of exercise that are out there that a person could do and um, what's the motivation behind doing all of them? What do they create when you do them? How does how you move affect how you perceive the world? Uh, anyway, just movement yeah. in general. So yeah, our, it has taken me, I just laugh how long it takes me to understand this whole Ayurveda thing. But I don't know if I said yeah. it. You guys stop me if I've said it already. But so the Sanskrit word is Vyayama. And I was thinking, oh, um, you know how words don't translate well from one language English. to yeah. English? And so mm -hmm. I think, um, all the, so we translate that word exercise, but what it really means is the type of movement that pushes you to your limit. So you'd be breathing hard and sweating and... Um, not all movement is like that. Uh, so there are times when they say you shouldn't exercise, you shouldn't viyama, <laughs> but you should always move, I think. And that uh, that's a lesson I I had over the, the winter. Um, so by that's that- interesting, because we- Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I was just gonna interject and say we've, used exercise as a different as a, in a different way like we say you know just doing this little movement of your abdomen in and up to activate your transverse abdominis like that's an exercise but you're not sweating while you're doing the exercise you're pushing yourself to that limit so yeah there's definitely a difference in language <laughs> and um you know, before we started the recording, like you were saying, Chrissy, that one lady who has a um, condition, how she sort of intuitively knows not to push herself. Mm -hmm. At least it seems that way for sure. Yeah. And yet we want to get to a place where our bodies can handle being pushed in, in order for, mm -hmm. for, for it to grow because that's how it will grow but <clears throat> um I, i'm still i'm still learning in my own self what that is because um i i think i learned long ago with my autoimmune condition that i do better with lower intensity exercise mm. yeah and i think what the i what higher or moderate or higher intensity looks like is truly different for everybody like you can make uh sit to stands stairs and lifting your coffee mug over your head like um, into a moderate like exercise and research does show that just even 20 minutes a, a day twice a week for moderate intensity exercise, which moderate is starting to breathe heavy, but not shortness of breath. Um, it's getting harder, but it's not so hard that you can't keep going. And you can say at least a sentence while you're doing the um, while you're doing the exercise. Like that's not as intense as I think some people 
would think moderate intensity is. Um, I think when people think of exercise, they have to like bust their butt for an hour. Um, but in reality, like I, I think just because our culture is such a is such a um like all or nothing and there has to be punishment in regards to exercise that um we get the idea of what light, moderate, and heavy exercise um, is um, or intensity. And they're actually a lot. Um, if you look up um, for people to, if you look up uh, the RPE scale, the rate of proceed absorption, oh, yeah. that is where we get the light versus moderate versus intense um, or uh, light, moderate, or high intensity. Um, and the moderate really isn't. Um, as intense as we think it is. Yeah. Oh, I, I have gathered some data for my patients. Um, just answering the question, what is the minimal amount of exercise a person would have to do in order to um, see a difference? And the things I found were, um, five, what, five minutes of walking reduces mortality. So yeah. just get, get up and walk around a little bit. Right. And, the other one was like this high intensity training. It's kind of goes with what you're saying, Christy. What's the minimum a person would have to do? And it came out at, oh, maybe three or four years ago. And it was like two minutes a day and it doesn't have to happen all at once. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then we get into like a complicated situation where like we're trying to do the minimum and, you know, but also the World Health Organization says like, recommends 140 minutes of exercise a week right mm -hmm. so and you can split that up however you want to so obviously there's a lot of spectrum and yes. I I think you know hearing you know just 20 minutes a uh, 20 minutes twice a week or doing two minutes a day takes some of the pressure off um, of people because there's so many people out there who um subconsciously like don't like the word exercise or have past experiences where you know they use exercise as a punishment so why would they want to exercise um so I think we can also call I, I sometimes tend instead of calling it exercise I, call, I tend to call it movement yeah because that seems to be less um less reactive towards um so then it it kind of shifts people's mindset um, so there's a lot of uh, layers there that we're talking yeah. about for sure. And don't, don't you, you get like, uh, with people, um, I'll, I'll say gardening is counts. Yeah. And they, they think sure. they don't exercise because they're doing things that they enjoy. So yeah, they don't exactly. exercise. <laughs> yeah. But if, if you break it down, it's just moving your body that gets your heart rate up and you might sweat a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So there's lots of versions of of that 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 um, are out there that people can do, and you don't need to put special clothes on or go to a special place to get mm -hmm. the effect. Yeah, and it it can be low key and minimal time up to. Um, you know, very intense. If somebody likes that, very intense. Um, do you do you guys think there can be too much exercise? 
too much exercise. Oh, what the, yeah. What is sure. that? Like? Yeah, for sure. I mean, like anything, too much of a good thing is not always a good thing. Uh-huh. The people, the people who like, like um, you know, the people who like to do, um, you know, m- marathons and ultra marathons and Iron Man. I have an Iron Man in in my family. It's just incredible to see what they accomplish. When, yeah, I guess it just depends on if your energy expenditure overly exceeds your energy intake and it creates an imbalance there that can create an issue and I learned a lot about that study like studying in the women's health field about the female athlete triad um, and how I think that really does happen a lot with any athletes including female athletes where we just exercise way too much and then but we're not getting enough nutrients intake. So people can do Ironmans and stuff. I think that's awesome, but it's just, you have to have that delicate balance of getting enough um, in you <laughs> to spend it. Well, I think that brings it back to Ayurveda, like, you know, because Ayurveda in, yeah. invites you to look at what you're eating and, and using food as strategy for what's happening in your body right now. And the, it has the same attitude about movement. Like, what does your body need today? So you might have this mm-hmm. workout plan, but you wake up in the morning and your body is not ready for what you had planned. You, you want to yeah. respond to how it is that day. And I think, unfortunately, that a lot of people... another level. Yeah, exactly. I was just about to say. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I just think, unfortunately, there, there's a, a huge mental health component, I think, to that. And if it's not addressed um, appropriately, um, then that freedom of self-awareness and be able to choose based off of how you're feeling is is going to be uh, shadowed by the subconscious that thinks that, like, I have to do it this way or it could be a conscious decision too. Like you, maybe it's something that you enjoy um, like mentally, but physically maybe it doesn't feel good, but you're like, no, this is what it should be. So this is what I'm going to continue doing. Um, I know for myself, like I never really understood that concept until I had significant therapy and around that specific topic, right? Um, you can go to therapy for very specific topics. Um, and when I did my base therapy of trying to like understand myself, then I was like, you know, it's all, this is really bleeding out into my, into my unhealthy relationship with food and exercise. And so let's go over that. And that has really, really helped me. Can you expound on that? Like what, what do you, the freedom to choose based on how you're feeling? Sure. So I think, um, I, I, the typical way that I thought exercise would be is that typical, like you need to be in the gym for at least an hour and pushing yourself so hard that you quote unquote see results, right? And and then you're also supposed to eat minimally like the 1200 calories, which that we're not, this is not, that's a whole nother topic and I'm not going to dive into that. Like it's a whole nother podcast episode. 
Um, and I would do that even if it didn't feel good. So like I had headaches, I didn't sleep well, I didn't poop very well. Um, I had stress and anxiety. I dreaded going to the gym, but yet I forced it because that's what I thought I had to do. And when I realized that one, I have a choice and that exercise can be more of a celebration of my body and not trying to hate my body. Um, because I, I always, I used to always use exercise as a way to change what my body looks like. Um, and now I use exercise as a expression and, and joy of what my body can do. Um, and then instead of what it looks like, um, and then also understanding the nervous system and the fight or flight versus rest and digest, there are clear signs when your body is telling you that you have too much fight or flight and adding intense exercise on top of it is not going to be the smartest choice. So this is more of a recovery day. And that might be like when you're in bed and like, you're like, there's no way I can get out of bed right now. Um, like it physically hurts it mentally. I'm exhausted. Um, it could be, um, your, uh, it could be, uh, all the other symptoms I said earlier about headaches and, and pain and, um, digestion issues. It could also be, um, like skin rashes. It could be, um, like literally you go break into hives, right? Because like even the thought of, of something that, um, is extra strain on your body, um, there are uh, wearables out there that can teach you about maybe, cause maybe you're not sure what those symptoms mean to you. And then there are these wearables that you can wear like a ring or a, or a little, it's like a watch, but it doesn't have a, a watch a clock on it. Um, that can help you learn what those symptoms mean versus for rest and digest versus um, fight or flight. Um, and I usually recommend those too, for people who are in this transition of figuring out how do I move my body and how do I do it with, with my mental health and my physical health um, at the forefront? Oh, I like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a great explanation and you're tapping into the world of heart rate variability, mm-hmm. which I think we've all used so quite a bit with our patients and that's super helpful. Yeah. Um, like you're saying way of, uh, it, it'll tell you whether you where your nervous system is at that day um, and it'll take some of the guesswork out of it to determine like what you should be doing with your body that day um, for me I did it for a little while and then it becomes like oh now I'm saying I'm in more of a parasympathetic mode now I kind of know what that feels like I don't always need to rely on the device but it's always good to fall back on sometimes yeah, those teach you how to feel in your own body. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> this is making me think about the difference between um, exercising to enjoy moving versus exercising mm-hmm. to create a change in your body. And I, I do think our job is often geared towards helping people make a change in their body. and. And that probably colors our perception of the movement that we ch- choose ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, True. I don't know. One of the 
things I've been thinking a lot about lately is, you know, cause we lose muscle mass as we, uh, age and that, and that starts like where in your forties even yeah. early. And, yeah. And, uh, like, is there any way I've, I'm, I'm going to say this question and I don't know the answer and I should, but what, is there any way to gain muscle when you're older? You can gain strength, but can you gain muscle mass? Yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. Cause that's how strength increases is gaining better muscle recruitment. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and the size, and usually we use hypertrophy, which is gaining size of your muscle as a way to, to, what's the word, um, a way to, um, um, uh, we use the rep schemes as a, as what is considered to be hypertrophy, which is making our muscles bigger and strength tends to have a different rep scheme, but it can still work. Like they go together, hypertrophy and strength go together. So we can absolutely do that in, as we're older and even into menopause years, um, we can definitely gain strength and muscle mass. And I think it's important to do that too. Like um, <clears throat> for our overall, overall health. And so, you know, in the Ayurveda model, you want to clear, um, you want to bring doshas into range you want to work on healthy tissue. When we exercise without that in mind, we're not going to build muscle. And and in that model, so I mean that's like something I'd like to <clears throat> prove out or test out. You know, yeah. Get yourself <clears throat> if you get yourself into an optimal state then when you do these exercises you're going to see better gains i i think that's that's the theory i think sometimes for a lot of people though is that they don't dose heavy enough to make the strength portion happen mm -hmm. um and that then is due to like lack of resources um fear of getting too bulky um I the whole like I just want to lean in tone like that's that doesn't exist right like the only way you can lean in tone is by replacing fat mass with lean body mass which is muscle right and so um I think unfortunately that mental component and the idea too of like well women or older or older people like shouldn't be lifting a certain way or shouldn't be using certain weights and but in reality that limits the strength capabilities um mm -hmm. so that I think that's another thing too is maybe people don't they think it doesn't work for them or they don't get the gains but maybe they're not dosing the strength portion in the weight portion appropriately either mm -hmm. yeah um Oh, so many ideas are popping in my head. And so I think one of the things that help people dose properly is having a guide. Mm -hmm. And that it's, uh, it's some people can do it on their own. But I, I, I find having guidance. I, I need it. 
you know, <laughs> like I tried before you left, right? I tried working with you and then I decided I'll do it on my own. And you know what? I didn't do it on my own because I can find 50 other things to do before, before I go to do that activity. You know, I've done some things on my own, but not consistent. And when you go to work with somebody, you have an appointment. The, the downside is it might not be the best day for it, right? To lift weight. But you have that person watching and helping dose the, the amount of exercise that you need. Um, so uh, I use myself as an example because, you know, like as a professional, I should uh, be able to self motivate and all that stuff. No, we all need. Um, help and guidance so oh yeah there's like a saying that coaches need coaches right like it's Uh, everybody does not just people who don't have credentials right like it's everybody does yeah um well you know I have a, a a designated yoga teacher you know somebody I learn yoga from even though I teach yoga so uh there's that um the, the gardening example. Okay. This was the other thing I was thinking, like I, I have getting people to actually go somewhere long-term and learn a movement system is, is sometimes hard to do, but that's, that's what I recommend is for people to find something that they enjoy and then do it. Um, you know, so we'll promote local gyms to people uh, uh, that, that especially that have trainers that have added interest in our patient population. So, um, but I will latch on to what they're already doing. So um, a, a male pelvic floor patient who was not gaining continence after a prostatectomy, um, just simply going through, well, what do you do in a day? Let's practice using your core actions of the pelvic floor and the, and the abdominal wall in the back and uh, respiratory diaphragm. Let's use those in the activities that you do in your day. Well, the person, he liked gardening. And so we did, you know, like farmer carries, right? Cause you got to push a wheelbarrow and you got to carry buckets and, um, and the next time he came in, continence was improved because he was bringing that step into his everyday activity. And that was enough for him. I'm not going to get him to go to a gym. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that. Love that yeah. Yes. And then I like to make, um, if instead of calling like exercise, exercise, I like to break it down into, there are let's say eight movements, it could be seven, but I'm going to call them eight of movements that I like to incorporate into a workout. And I'm using quotes as a workout, but you could use it in your, in your daily activities. And it's a squat, a lunge, a hinge, a push, a pull, a carry, a rotation and an anti-rotation and then single leg things. You could do like two of those a day 
and you can incorporate that into your daily life so like in gardening like you said the carries were the carrying the buckets and the tools and your sod or soil or potting soil that you have right that's a carry and then you lifting up the potting soil is either a squat or a hinge you do 10 of those and like there you go you can knock two of those out of, of the week so then the next day you're going to focus on a lunge and single leg balance and we could balance in the garden for 10 seconds like on concrete versus gravel versus uh, grass right like i think if we could when we allow people to have that as as their ability to, to move how they want to with joy and pertaining to a goal that they have like you have so much more buy-in um and happier people too yeah it's, um hillary cartwright she's um she was there at the inception of gyrotonic and taught it for a long time and then she started her own thing she calls narada yoga and she is just a beautiful example of this somebody who just owned her movement for herself her body is her tool for exploring movement and i think that is what i would encourage everybody um, is to um, look at how your body is a unique key to a no other lock you know there's one one lock for that that you're meant to unlock and discover and um it, this lady has lived that just her body is an exploration of movement well she was a dancer and that was kind of hard on her body she ended up with two hip replacements but even with these hip replacements she can still do like splits but to, without disrupting the 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 replacements because she's been so conscious in her movement. Well, I went to a retreat thing with her and um, for, by the way, it was, um, she wouldn't do more than three hours of movement a day. And then the rest of the day was let your body integrate what you just did. And we would go sightseeing. And I remember standing at a corner waiting for a light to change she had recently had a hip replacement. She did these little single leg mini squats waiting for the light. <laughs> so <laughs> just illustrating what you what you said here, um, you know, even in yoga, I can see all those things, the squat, the lunge, the hinge, the push pull. Um, not, I don't know about the carry, but the rotations and the single leg stuff mm -hmm. are are all in there. Yeah, it's so true. I think um, I I didn't realize, I think the squatting and everything I can really relate to, too, because I grew up as a dancer, and I think I just automatically learned how to lift, so, like, use my glutes, use my hamstrings, to like, bend down, um, not using my back, but using my legs. Um, but what was really interesting was um, after giving birth and going through postpartum, I, my back was like hurting all the time. And then I realized that my core and my glutes had sort of turned off for some reason. Um, I think just from the trauma of birth and like breaking my tailbone and just exhaustion. <laughs> 
Um, but luckily I had that awareness where I realized like, oh my gosh, I'm using my back. I'm like bending over, I'm curling my back. I'm not using my glutes. Um, and then when I went back to, I had to like retrain my brain a little bit and think about it. Like, okay, I'm going to bend down and pick up Gordy using my glutes, using my legs. I'm going to exhale as I lift him. Um, and it was kind of a trip to have to go through that um, and retrain myself. But luckily it came back quickly because I think it was my norm before. But um, yeah, I guess I just went through what I teach a lot of my patients is just like you're saying throughout your day, if you're going to go lift something, like use it as, um, do it with awareness and use it as an exercise to stop and think and breathe through it. Um, and then eventually it'll become automatic and you won't have to think about it um, as much. So that was my little experience postpartum of using things like lifting my baby as an exercise and retraining my body. That's a great example because I, I, uh, the other thing I say a lot with my patients is I'm not, it's not the particular exercise I'm teaching you, but the, the skill of noticing so that, and because you, I can wake up in the morning and things have quit moving, quit working, muscles have turned off <laughs> and it's the awareness that they did that. And I need to turn them back on. And it's like the idea of like teach a person to fish don't give them fish, right? It's the same concept, you know, like you teach people how to be in their body and feel their body and see where something is a little bit off, then they're gonna have lifelong skills in order to reduce injury and improve health and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. Okay, so I have a couple other things. And I think too, um, uh, just to go back to how you were saying, like, um, like having someone to guide you, like there's so many online um, PTs and personal trainers out there that um, you can still have that accountability, but maybe you don't have to like go into a physical gym um, and they still do like check-ins once a month or once a week or whatever your plan is. Um and they can incorporate what you have at home um, if that's the best option for you. Um, and it could be any type of exercise modality. It does not have to be strength training. Um, so if you are uh, wanting ideas of, and I'm saying you as in the listeners, wanting ideas of what online programming to look for, um, you just reach out and we can guide you um, through all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh like, yeah, I'm just thinking about that. Like in choosing what to do, like, I think we represent, we've all chosen different things to do or different things that we're drawn to. Um, so uh, resistance training, I don't know, that's been in my um, radar a lot. Because, I mean, it's kind of the basis of physical therapy is to, to do resistance training because if somebody needs to come back from a problem, they have to rebuild something. Um, but there, there are different movement approaches that can 
make incredible <clears throat> gains. Um, I was thinking of, you know, like the Feldenkrais. So um, Deborah Lerman, who we've had at the at the clinic, um, you know, and and what that kind of changes it can bring about for people that they haven't gotten any other way. Mm-hmm. And it's it's micro movement. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so it's at another end of the scale. Um, uh, you know, uh, there's, um, well, okay. So I, my thing that what helped me was Qigong, gyrotonic and yoga. And I'm trying, how does that affect my perception of the world? Somehow it calms me down more. So maybe my system tends to be in fight or flight. Uh, so I would say that movement approach has had a, a more calming effect on me. And maybe that's something that I, I needed more than when um, I've been in um, high intensity resistance classes, I tend to push myself too hard. And I can, when I do that, I can feel that my insides actually like spring. Um, when I push too hard, it doesn't mean I shouldn't do that. I think my lesson is how do how can I do more demanding activities and stay within my limits? But yeah, that's hard um, because because it, it could be either it could be a couple reasons because just like any modality, our nervous system can be trained. So if, you're, if your nervous system hasn't been trained to adapt to higher intensity exercise, then, then does training it in high intensity exercise occasionally, is that a good thing? Because then we're teaching the nervous system to adapt and regulate based on that adaptation. Or is it a sign of your nervous system is too overstimulated and then adding this on top of it is stimulating even more. I don't think we have the answer to that. Yeah. Um, I think it's trial and error and being okay with trial and error. I think a lot of times like our society believes like you, you have to, um, if something doesn't work within four weeks or six weeks and it's not good for me. So one, it might take longer to see those results. I think another thing too is our society is so black and white in that it's like, it's this way or this way. Um, but I think taking some of that pressure off of having such binary thinking can help create, like then you can start asking more questions. We can start um, uh, being more connected to our body because we're going by feel and not so much of like black and white numbers. Um, especially when it comes to like weights, like people tend to focus on weight as their data. Um, but there's so much more data that we can take. Um, and so being okay with experimentation, I think is, is super, super good. Mm -hmm. I love that trial and error. That's actually another basis of Ayurveda, you know, and and it's, it's the scientific principle, right? And like, 
we can use that into our life of trial and error and having that hypothesis and work with it. And I think Sarah, you always say like, let's hold it in our hand and like, and like ponder it for a little bit. And then we can let it go. Like at some point when we are ready to let it go. Mm. Yeah. And, and uh, it's taking the decision inward instead of, I don't care that a study said it. You're, you're, Right. That, that is a data point. That's a secondary. Point. Yeah. yeah. It's not the answer yeah. necessarily. Um, studies are good guides. Yeah, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Your awareness and your ability to understand your body and what it needs comes first. And then the studies are like second. Sort of your intuition first, and then your mind second. Um, yeah, your intuition as the master, and your mind as the servant. Um, and I think as a idea. reminder too of like what evidence-based practice is. It's not just the research articles, right? It's research articles, uh, clinician judgment based off of past experiences, and the wants and needs of the client and the patient, and all of those three things have to create evidence-based practice, not just a research. So absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. This is an thinking head. I was just um, wanted to, what was on my mind when you, Sarah was talking or when you guys were talking about trial and error, is it, it takes a lot of courage. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think of myself as an athlete that I have tried many things, um, but it's so easy to fall into like what we're used to. So I'm, I'm really confident in going to a yoga class or a meditation or Qigong or just going out for a run by myself. Um, but I've been thinking, okay, at this time of my life, I actually do need more resistance training um, and maybe going to a CrossFit class or maybe I should try martial arts or like kickboxing um or weight training and even I am like where do I go (laughs) like (laughs) I would feel a little nervous like showing up to a CrossFit class or to a weight training class I'd be like I don't know what I'm doing I forget how to I mean I used to do weight training back in high school and college but that was you know part of my track team it was just easy I would follow my coaches and I don't know, my teammates, but for me to show up by myself to a weight training class, I would feel like an outsider. Um, so, but I'm just going to do it, but I'm like, that's me. And so I, I think for the general population, it must, the courage part is, is key <laughs> or just feeling comfortable enough 100%. in your own self to just show up. <laughs> yeah. yeah you know? I think you're a hundred percent correct because um it there and unfortunately people when they go especially like more we call in the crossfit world we call like global gyms like planet fitness and 24-hour fitness and stuff like that like there tends to be a lot of judgment there and intimidation because you are going there by yourself and um it doesn't have to be crossfit there are like so many now we call them in like boutique gyms where they are more like 
group fitness specific and they have like a smaller community and people actually know each other's names and you know take some of that stigma away from um so you can there's so many options out there now too of of creating the community that helps reduce some of that intimidation and, and fear and um improves companionship mm-hmm yeah, it makes me think whenever I see like a new person at a yoga class, I try to just exude kind of openness mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. joy that this person has showed up um, versus like ego yeah, um, and territory. And just we all get to choose sort of the energy we take to our environment. And I don't know, I would want somebody to exude welcomeness to me when I'm in a new place versus like ego. But yeah, I was uh, yeah control what other people are gonna bring. So mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> oh, this is a tangent, but I was thinking about uh, another th- a therapist I know. Um, their their movement choice is orienteering, just going out in the woods and trying to find your your way. Oh. Um, so bringing that sounds terrifying we had a- and exciting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we did that in gym class, like back in high school. I remember <laughs> that was really fun. That bringing that mental component in—that's what like dance is so good because you have to remember something, a sequence while you're uh, working. But okay, I wanted to bring this other piece in, so. I was listening to um, Peter Atia lately. He's a medical doctor who looks at longevity and um, does a lot with exercise. And he was interviewing this gal. Her background was extensive in movement, but uh, unconventional in that she, it doesn't sound like she was licensed uh, like physical therapy is, but she had, dance professionally and she had studied all these different movement forms and um i i love listening to people like that who's the other guy like that is ido portal i like to listen to him um partly because that these people the way they're coming at movement is is not from dysfunction but from from ability and um whereas we're looking at what's the limitation and how do we uh how do we uh, address a person who seem who seems to be in a limited state and um they have such a different way of looking at the body so this person even said she said the center of mass is the rib cage which is not true <laughs> it's the it's uh you know, within the pelvis, but what if we pretended, (laughs) you know, and here she is looking at movement from this, this way. Um, And the importance of the rib cage to uh, ability to control one's body or the importance of hands and feet to stability, which there's a teacher, Emma Kingston, in the gyrotonic world who does a whole course on hands and feet and freeing up the hands and feet so that the, the proximal body works better. So 
Um, anyway, that that was my wanting to bring it up is an illustration of how we move affects how we perceive. Um, mm -hmm. And that uh, trying out different ways of movement that might be a little less natural for you, might be a little uncomfortable, is, can be a, a great way to expand your perceptions and um, uh, and open up more potential. Yeah, I think if we take it back to the, the um, nervous system is that our body works by inputting information and then it creates an output. And if we aren't having a variety of inputs into our nervous system, whether it's temperature or movement or texture or light or um, foods or anything, any uh, senses that we can talk about, right? Then if we lack that input, then our ability to output at a higher efficiency is going to be limited. I mean, this is a very extreme example, but if, you know, again, I'm the true crime junkie that when you have those horrible documentaries about abusive parents that keep their children in sensory deprivation all the time, which is lack of communication, lack of warm touch, lack of food, lack of stimulation, um, they aren't, they come out of it not doing really well. Um, so having that rich environment and rich stimulus and rich input into our nervous system uh, that allows for better output. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. In your travels, you guys have spent more time outside. Yes, overall, um, maybe not as much as again as we would like to because of variety of reasons. Um, but I even noticed um, uh, that, like I, I literally live in a hundred and fifty square foot place, <laughs> like right. Um, <laughs> but there's windows all around, and like right now we live on a farm, and so every time I walk outside, I'm usually like greeted by goats and horses and and uh tractors right um anytime that i am sitting on my little couch like i can immediately look outside um so even though maybe we weren't outside as much as we want just because of the weather and all that kind of stuff we still were immersed in nature um where we parked our trailer right um and the access i was on a, a zoom call the other day too with multiple people and every single person was in a closed room and like behind them, no sunlight, no windows, nothing. And then my screen shows me like with my, the, the trees out back. Right. And so I think that also, um, it would be considered immersed in, in nature in some instance. So that was nice. Yeah. That, so like, um, getting outside and, working in the yard or going camping, you know, those are all ways of moving and um, interfacing with nature can affect your perception. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
Well, and, and then Shauna, you okay. it would be interesting to know like the difference between like I'm and I also noticed how my body reacts differently to different climates. Um okay. and yeah. I have noticed like once we got back to eastern Washington, which is pretty dry, um, like my hands are swelling more, my feet are swelling more. Um versus like when we were in not so dry climates like I could get my rings um off and on really easily um, my shoes fit a little bit better <laughs> like um you know so I'm sure with you uh, Shona too you kind of made that kind of transition as well yeah this whole thing with the climate I definitely think my body does better with um with a humid climate like a I think this is like literally my entire ancestry is Scottish so there's just a lot of rain um and and I guess the way my body is built I think appreciates that more and I think um when I lived in a dry climate I had to really adapt um to bring more moisture into my body in different ways so with drinking tons more water I think if I changed Sorry, I have a toddler down. <laughs> oh, I think he fell. Yeah, I think he did too. I think he, she muted herself. Okay. Uh, <laughs> oh. <No. laughs> okay. We had a little fall. We're outside right now in the sunshine, talking about climate. It's been nice to walk and move. I'm not just meeting, but okay, I'm going to meet myself again. Okay. <laughs> no. And not staying be. in because yes. that's real life right there. <laughs> I love it. Uh, so, well, there's another physical thing getting out with your kids. And playing mm -hmm. outside. I I gave an exercise to a lady the other day. And when I work with mothers, I'm like, okay, I, you know, three exercises max. And they should include the children. And so there's a game where you're laying on your back and your kid is sitting on your shins. And you bounce them up and down. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, oh, this is a great one to teach her to do with her kid that will work her core. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a little ditty that goes with it. And, you know, you can flip your kid upside down. And I thought this will be great. And then we got done and she said, but what exercise should I do? I'm like, mm -hmm. it's the exercise. Yeah. It'll work your core. Yeah. yeah absolutely. And I, I, I love that you said that because I, I, I've realized a lot that I'm just too serious a lot of times and a lot of, and too structured, right? And it has to look a certain way. And I think back to like in high school when I did, I did do dance and I not only like danced like with a group that we had to learn certain things, right? But I also like danced in my basement, like when I got home and didn't have a routine and I just like enjoyed myself like playing and um, which is a lot of exercise too and the benefits of exercise. And so I think again, as we get older, we just believe that exercise has to be this structured mindset. But if we 
take some of that structure out and just play, um, we actually might get more benefit out of it too. Yeah. There's a story of this guy. He had um, cerebral palsy and, you know, just years of physical therapy growing up. And then somewhere as a young adult, he found dance and somebody who had worked with him and he actually made progress learning dance in his body that, you know, had the limitations of CP, but there are these branches of movement. The ones I'm familiar with are like, one's called Nia. One's one is the five rhythms and the other ones is contact improv. Um, The, the five rhythms takes, they, they recognize five types of rhythm and they use, you move through them. So the whole class is dancing um, improvisationally through these five rhythms, contact improv is a couple thing. And it's, you know, touching into another person and then using that to, to stimulate um, movement. So all three of these things are very non-linear and um, unwinding an MFR is another form of movement that's non-linear, it emerges from the inside out sort of self-expression, like modern dance is that. Um, And if you're used to working in a linear pattern, um, it feels really uncomfortable to to have to be spontaneous. Yes. Yeah, I like, I've never heard of the five rhythms or Nia. So I'll definitely have to look those up. Um, but I think in that regard too, like we've said this so many times, especially when it when it comes to manual therapy techniques, like everyone's saying the same thing, we're just calling it something different, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's the same thing with what I just said, like I had to stop myself, like, oh, I'm interested in Nia and the five rhythms, but I, maybe I just go out and like swing my arms around. Like, have you, I, I'm not a, even though I love true crime, I'm not a horror movie fan. <laughs> I do know though, and this is kind of morbid, the Texas Chainsaw series, mm-hmm. like he's like has his chainsaw and he's like dancing like around. I'm not <laughs> saying we need to be dancing with chainsaws. Uh but the idea of just like flinging my arms around and swirling in a circle, like that is great. Like I could do that too. <laughs> like totally okay yeah have to know what the five rhythms are and what Nia is right like I well and we're living in a time where we want to like everybody creates their thing and patents like so there's yoga for the lymph system yoga for the brain um and then uh like like what the Nia and the five rhythms when you're um or or exercise for Parkinson's right and people get certified that in that people go looking for um, these experts and how to exercise for Parkinson's when it's like you, I, I have a little trouble with that. All movement is just move, help these people move, apply um, principle. Yeah. Sorry. Brain. Yeah, yeah. Brain is not I, engaging with mouth. <laughs> yeah yeah I um 
I totally understand that uh, too, because I, I heard something the other day too, is like, um, like our generation and like we're kind of in this like world now of side hustles and that mm-hmm. um that everyone is monetizing their hobbies um and sometimes like I just want to have a hobby or a movement pattern or something and not monetize it like I just want to enjoy it to enjoy it um and I think right now because everyone wants um because they were they found the secret sauce to like their Big Mac, right? Like they figured out like what their secret sauce is for them. And that's like for everybody. And they're like monetizing their joy and they're monetizing their secret sauce. And at some point, like, does it then not help you anymore because it's not joy and it's not like you just immersing yourself into that movement practice and, and, um, and having that self-awareness and, and curiosity, um, cause now it's monetized and we have a name to it. And I, both are appropriate. We have to make money to live and we have to, um, and also when we can make money while doing something we enjoy, like is fantastic. Um, so, but again, it's finding that balance of, you know, maintaining that joy while, also spreading the word like it's it's hard yeah yes well I think like if we are gonna summarize what we said today it's like we should all move mm-hmm. <laughs> and you should move with in the way that feels best for you today yep and not the way you think you should necessarily mm-hmm that there are probably um, principles and guidelines behind how we can use movement to our best advantage. Um, But then how that's accomplished is multiple, multiple ways. And we should get out and explore and try new things and find joy in moving. 100%. Love it. Awesome. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Our group tends to have these fantastic discussions, and we always ask ourselves why we haven't recorded any of them. And now, here we are. If you are interested in more content, we'll be releasing new episodes every other Monday. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching Therapy Solutions PLLC. That PLLC is super important. This is the Rehab Within Reach podcast, where all are encouraged to experience wholeness and independence. See you soon.